I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blimke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. Catherine Stewart is an investigative journalist who has written for Rolling Stone, The Nation, The New York Times, and The Guardian. She may be best known as the author of The Good News Club about an organization bringing religious fundamentalism to elementary schools across the country. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about The Good News Club to begin with, and we'll branch off from there. So what for those who don't know, what is The Good News Club, and why is it something we should be worried about? Sure. Um, Good News Clubs, which are sponsored by an organization called the Child Evangelism Fellowship, are these after-school programs of religious indoctrination that are largely held in public schools. There are presently about 4,000 of these clubs in um, public elementary schools around the country. 4,000? Public schools. <laughs> Pardon? 4,000? Nearly 4,000 of Jeez. them, and they hold them in elementary schools because they really target children in those first years of learning. The purpose of the clubs is to convert very young children to a fundamentalist form of the Christian religion and to the, try to get them and their families to join um, uh, certain types of churches. They call them Bible-believing churches. And the children attending the clubs are also told to try to recruit their peers to the club. At every uh, training that I attended, um, children were offered points or prizes or sometimes even candy for um, bringing their peers to the club. Wow. Now, you know, they take place after school, and they do require parental permission permission to join. So, you know, a lot of people think, what's the big deal? But I want to tell you why people should be concerned about good news clubs. First of all, the, the biggest concern, in my view, is that they deceive very young children into thinking that their public school endorses a particular form of the Christian religion. Look, little kids, you know, as young as five or six years old, um, uh, are very impressionable, and the public school has a kind of cloak of authority in their minds. Anyone who either had young kids or has worked with them knows that they think if something takes place in their school, it must be what the school wants them to believe. Mm. And the Good News Club leaders know that, and that's why they've been so insistent on holding these clubs in public schools, even when, for instance, like a nearby church offers uh, free space, you know, at the exact same time. Um, that happened in our community, an evangelical church literally next door to the school said, oh, we have great space we'd like to <laughs> offer it to you for free. And the Good News Club leaders declined. They insisted on being in the public school. And so this is all, thing, this um, is legal though, right? Like, because they are after this school. Is legal. And- this yeah. is legal. It's because of a 2001 Supreme Court decision called Good News Club versus uh, Milford Central School, um, in which the um, the club argued that um, what they were... It, Basically, if a school opens what's known as a limited uh, public forum, sort of legally known, technically known as a limited public forum, which is to say if they live in after-school soccer or if they, you know, let in after-school volleyball or mm-hmm. art, they have to, they can't exclude a religious club right. because that's a violation of their um, their free speech. So basically what they've done is that a Supreme Court decision um, uh, swiped aside establishment clause concerns and basically isn't treating religion as religion. It's treating it as just speech from a certain point of view. Sure. So there, this is not a legal battle we are talking about. This yeah. is kind of a more moral, moral. battle and a we should still be concerned, even sure. if it's legal for other reasons. And you were saying, what was the other concern? 
Well, I think, well, there are other concerns as well. I think, you know, good news clubs also deceive parents. Uh, many parents sign their kids up to the clubs thinking that they represent a kind of mainstream form of the Christian religion. Um, but in fact, you know, most activists I met who work with good news clubs believe, you know, that most American Christians really aren't, including, you know, Catholics, United Methodists, uh, um, Episcopalians, the list goes on. So a lot of people don't really understand what the good news clubs are teaching, the good news club um, the marketing materials are very simple. They'll say, you know, fun prize. You know, we're going to play games and 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 give prizes and teach your kids to be good people. You know, and who's going to say no to that? They offer free aftercare. So yeah. most parents think, great, free aftercare. My kid will learn to be, you know, behave. What could be wrong? <laughs> and their their um, their curriculum is, in fact, um, you know. Uh, it emphasizes punishment and sin and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's somebody who did an independent study of their curriculum, their five-year curriculum. Um, they have, you know, uh, textbooks. And these lesson plan is, is supposed to be taught in every good news club from coast to coast. And that uh, person did the study found over 5,000 references, uh, thousands of references to sin, hell, and punishment, and only two, um, that uh, person who conducted the study asserted there were only two or three glancing references to the golden rule or the royal law, which is loving your <laughs> wow. neighbors yourself. Good news indeed. So, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. really the perfect name for a club, oh, too. Who's going to say no to something called the Good News Club? <laughs> yeah, that was no mistake. Right. Well, I mean, exactly. When the first Good News Club, I got onto this whole thing when a Good News Club came to my daughter's public uh, elementary school. Mm. And I really just thought, what's the big deal? But then I started to hear stories from um, parents I knew whose kids went to schools where Good News Clubs had just been established. And I started to hear about how kids attending the clubs were, um, you know, things had been cool and great, and then all of a sudden kids attending these clubs are starting to target their um, peers for what I could only describe as faith-based bullying and bigotry. They mm-hmm. sort of figure out which kid in their class is a member of a religious minority group and then, you know, go up to them and start berating them for not believing in Jesus. And yes. and um, uh, and then they would say, I, this is the most concerning part, because of course kids can learn these things on their own time off, off campus, but these kids would say, I know it must be true because I learned it in school, and they don't teach mm. things in school that aren't true. You know, I don't have a kid a problem with kids talking with their friends about their religion, but I do have a problem with kids being deceived into thinking that their school endorses a particular form of religion and then using that false, you know, that misperception to try to berate their peers. And it's just amazing that this, again, this is legal, mm-hmm. but it seems like these people who run these groups, the Good News Club, they found a loophole that allows them to exploit something that's legal to their ends, which is kind of evil, genius, brilliant. It feels slimy. And it's totally slimy, but it works because it's these kids are five. Yeah. They're not discerning about what's going on. They're like, oh, I, I learned you have to believe this to be good. And of course, they're going to tell their friends to join them and come after school with them. Yeah. And it's hard to stand up and say, well, I don't believe this stuff when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, Catherine, I think you even mentioned something. Uh, maybe it was in one of your lectures or maybe it was in the book about something called the four to 14 window. Oh, right. Yes. Um, what is I that? Was, uh, well, I, when I started researching the book, I really wanted to learn where this focus on children was coming from because I started to see this intense focus on kids. And um, I realized that um, I, read, I found a book by one of the most 
um, influential mission strategists named Louise Bush. You know, in any business, like in the um, you know sports equipment business, you have people. There are people who are like strategists who tell you how to market. Or you know, in business consulting, there are these. I don't know what their names are. I've heard, you know, Jack Welch, I don't know, these very famous, like, you know, consultants who kind of tell everybody what to do and their ideas are followed very broadly. Mm-hmm. So Louise Bush is one of these folks in the evangelical world, you know, one of quite a few, but he um, is one of the very top mission strategists. And he, he wrote a book um, called The 414 Window. Um, I can't remember the subtitle, something like Raise, Raising Up a New Generation to Transform the World or something like that. And it starts with the idea that... Um, the vast majority of conversions to um, evangelical Christianity happen before or um, a child's 14th uh, birthday. So that's where evangelicals should kind of focus their um, efforts, their missionary efforts. And it um, it's concerning because it takes for granted the idea that um, um, for um, evangelical Christians, spreading their religion involves exploiting the immaturity or lack of emotional development of children and the sort of lack of worldly awareness that characterizes small children. Um, and I should stress that in the case of Good News Clubs, the children involved in these missionary efforts are actually other people's kids. They're not their own children. They're really, I mean, the Good News Clubs, they're not converting their own kids. Their, their real focus is on converting other people's children in their public schools. Um, you know, when I was doing my research um, in this, I didn't really meet anyone within the organization who shared my concern that trying to convert other people's kids is inappropriate. Um, so um, I thought that was um, pretty interesting. The religious right wing likes, likes to claim that they promote what they call family values, but they treat families that um, don't look like theirs with a the kind of contempt. Yeah. I'm... <sighs> I feel like, so us talking about this, it's clearly, like Hammond said, kind of an evil genius. It's clearly icky. They they don't see it this way. Like, are they seeing They think they're as, saving the world. Right. Is that what their motivation is? Because it feels so maniacal. If any other group besides Christians was doing the same thing, They'd lose their they, would go, they would flip out. Well, this is the uh, an interesting thing I found, is that when other religions try to exercise their so-called rights in the same way that the majority religion does, or, or people who are members of the perceived majority religion, mm. they're really shut down. I mean, there's so many examples of this. Um, there was a family in Miami, Oklahoma, a Muslim family, that saw that their school was distributing Bibles, and they decided to try to distribute the Quran on the same basis um, really as well. Bibles. They said, well, gosh, if you're allowed to distribute your religious texts, you know, the Gideons, they said, well, we can distribute ours. And you can imagine what happened with them. They were, you know, they got so much hate mail and so many death threats they feared for their lives. And, the, and in Orange County, happened, yeah, we saw it in Orange in County, Orange County Florida, 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 where the Satanists and atheists it. wanted yeah. to do the same thing. And the district eventually, after a long drawn out battle in a sense they finally said fine we'll just stop the distributions or come up with a new policy right. that will deal with all this which but is what we wanted all in along. a sense yeah it's so frustrating i know you know i mean this whole idea that a public school is a just a forum for every you know little you know group to kind of get their crack at the kids and as long as it's neutral it's okay it's just free speech i frankly disagree with that. I mean, uh, you know, I frankly want everyone to have their freedoms recognized, and I want 
religious and non-religious people to have equal opportunity and not be discriminated. But I disagree fundamentally that religion can just be reduced to another kind of speech when it comes to public schools and that it can be treated like everything else in the legal system. I mean, religions, by virtue of the Constitution, have protections that other groups simply don't have. They get significant tax privileges to the tune of, I don't know, over $100 billion over the last 10 years, according to some recent studies. Um, and by virtue of the Constitution, they also have all kinds of privileges and exemptions from the law. Mm-hmm. They're, for instance, exempt from employment anti-discrimination laws, and they're allowed to engage in the kind of speech that get other groups uh, banned from public school campuses. You know, they're allowed to tell children that they're sinners and deserve to die, which is something that the Good News Clubs tell kids. And all of that is protected as religion, but with those protections comes a price, which is that they have to be treated in some way differently than other forms of speech, and they have to be treated in a way that avoids entanglement between the church and the school, between religion and the school. If you could wave a magic wand of some sort, I mean, what do you want to see happen? Because I I would think if you're saying the solution is we should not be allowed to have these religious good news clubs and any other type of religious club, they're going to fight back by saying, no, you're taking away our religious freedom. This is a free speech issue. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, um, public schools in my look, public schools are for education. Education is not anything goes. It's about having a certain set of facts and skills to teach children so they can have a better future. You know, I want everyone to have their freedoms but um, I think we have to take the educational mission of the schools very seriously. Right. Yes, it's great to have free speech in schools, but your right to free speech ends when my daughter's biology class begins. I don't want to give weight, you know, to your point of view that the Earth is 6,000 years old. Um, more generally, I think um, that diminishes the standing of the school as a genuine source of knowledge. Of course, but problem. that is during the school day, and these are taking place outside of the school day. So is there any legitimate way you could even... Uh, how could anyone make that argument, I guess? I'm playing devil's advocate here, but how can well, anyone I make think, the argument um, when it happens outside age, of school? Right. School I hours. mean, I think age matters a great deal. You know, there's a general way of saying, you know, that I think deceiving small kids is very easy and it's very bad. I don't have a problem at the high school level or even middle school with groups that are genuinely student-led yeah. and that don't attempt to coerce non-members and that don't involve deceiving anybody mm-hmm. about their connection with or endorsement by the school. Like, for instance, in high schools, I think there are plenty of after-school religious and non-religious and atheist groups, and I generally have no problem with them. With older kids, it's much easier to establish that the activities are genuinely student-led, yeah. that they don't involve coercing non-members, and that they don't involve deceiving students about the school's endorsement of the group. But, um, you know, going after kindergartners is a different story. You know, by the way, I want to point out that um, political clubs are excluded from generally from public elementary schools. There's no young, there's um, no super young Republicans. (laughs) No, you don't have an adult leading a group of young Democrats or an adult coming into the school and teaching, you know, the kindergarten Republicans. That just doesn't happen. And what's the reason? Because it is rightly recognized that that would confuse people that the political point of view being promoted in the school was um, being endorsed by the school and hence the state. And nobody cries foul there. Everybody just sort of agrees. But when it comes to religion, religious groups, this particular group has recognized that they're gaining a significant advantage by doing this. And that's why they're, you know, they've sort of staked that space and they're determined to defend it. So if I wanted to start a club for young Democrats 
in an elementary school. You're telling me, and and I went through all the proper you procedure. You wouldn't be allowed to. I wouldn't be allowed to. No, and you also can't electioneer in a public school. I mean, in a in a you know public yeah in any public school because yeah. the um, you know our our, uh, our our legal system has long recognized that um, that kind of um, uh, activity would would it, it's a it's an inappropriate entanglement of the government with 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 religion. Well, I, and along those lines, I heard that a group of atheists started something called the Better News Club as sort yeah, of a... like as a tongue-in-cheek pushback against right. this. Do you think that that's appropriate? Do you think it's effective? Um, you know, I, I don't know that much about the Better News Club. I've never seen their curriculum. What I have heard is that it's not a religious club, that they don't address the issue of religion, but they're there to teach critical thinking. Mm. Right. You know, and I just to be clear, it. just to be clear on this, this is just one group of parents who said there is a good news club at our kids' elementary school. Yeah. Let's start a better news club just to give kids an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of a more of a protest than anything else, it seems. But they'll say they're genuinely interested in this. But it's kind of just saying, yeah, we're going to teach critical thinking. We're not going to promote atheism. Um, But more than anything else, they want to play the same game that the Good News Club is playing. And let's see what happens. You know, again, if I could wave the magic wand, (laughs) create, create the perfect world. Frankly, I think, you know... Public schools should not be turned into religious battlegrounds, I think. In order for our public schools to function effectively in a society as diverse as ours, I think we should all set aside our agendas. Us adults, we should set aside our political agendas, our religious agendas, and really come together in support of our children, their collective future. I can't comment on this Better News Club because I don't know that much about it. I've never seen any of the materials. but um, I don't think they have any for what it's worth. (laughs) I do think it's really interesting that um, uh, the fact that there are nearly 4,000 good news clubs in public elementary schools across the country, and that doesn't really get a whole lot of media coverage. And then one club that actually <laughs> claims to not be religious um, yeah. is starting a, a, a one club in you know upstate New York or wherever it is, and all of a sudden it gets media coverage. I think that's quite extraordinary. It reminds me a little bit, it's funny, um, when the Good News Club came to our public uh, elementary school, a friend of mine was, um, I mean, our, our public school in Santa Barbara had, you know, a, a lot of religious diversity. And a friend of mine is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she said, can you imagine if we did this, it yeah. would be all over the national news. And she is probably right. And oh, yeah. you kind of see when there's an, sort of a, an, a, a, a perspective that's not uh, a perspective endorsed by, you know, the, the perceived majority. I mean, frankly, right. I, I mean, it's a dog bites corporate. man sort of story. It's not the one you're or it's a man bites dog sort of story where you're not used to hearing that one. Mm-hmm. So everyone's covering it. Yeah. But when you have all these Christian groups, it's just, oh, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah, I guess there's no do. story. It's there. true. Um, it's true. Let's talk about and again. Your... I think that they get a lot of cover because they present themselves as broadly Christian. Right. But anybody who spends a little bit of time with their curriculum materials will see that they really aren't. So this um, is not mainstream. You know, this is of... <laughs> this is very fundamental. Yeah, a number of parents came to me um, when I was doing my research and said, "You know, my daughter came home. I sent her to a goodness club. She came home and and she said, Mommy, Daddy, we're going to go to hell because we don't go to the right church.' Oh boy! So." Wow. Yeah. Let's let's talk about your new article in The Nation, which is uh, kind of taking this as a jumping point and saying uh, 
all it's kind of saying evangelicals are trying to basically put a church in every school. What do you what is what do you mean by that? What are you saying? Well, um, there is um, you know some of the same the same legal um, theory that has allowed for good news clubs to appear in public elementary schools has um, helped to pave the way for um, placing. Um, Churches in public, uh, churches operating in public elementary schools. Now it's, it's very different in that they are in many instances renting the space, although in some instances they're not renting the space. For instance, in New York City, there were, I believe it was 160 houses of worship operating rent free in public schools in New York City. So just um, to be clear, like at, operate... at the public school in my area, there, if you drive past that school on a Sunday morning, the parking lot is pretty full, and it's because a local church rents out the the auditorium, which is a nice auditorium, and people go to church. But it's just taking place at our public school. They pay rent. Mm-hmm. There's that's it's, true. Although I think you know, everybody. I don't know what what they what kind of rent they pay at your uh, public yeah. school. Our public school uh, near us, they um, there's a church that rents out the space every Sunday for a hundred dollars a week. Now, I think everybody can recognize that this is a substantial boon to the religious organization paying so-called rent. It's a subsidy, really, because, you know, for $100, they get this beautiful space. They get furniture, heating and cooling, parking, um, you know, air conditioning, bathrooms, I mean, multiple classrooms. So it, it presents a substantial saving over whether they had, you know, if they had to... Uh, fund their own their own building. Well, it works but, because um, public but, schools are loaded and churches have no money. So I'm really <laughs> glad that they've struck a deal. So what's the problem well, with these churches renting out these public school spaces? Let's let's assume for a second that they were paying fair rent on Sundays or something like that. What would be the problem with that? Well, I want to talk about um, the um, entity, the church entity in particular. Um, that I wrote about, it's um, in Florida, it's a church called the Venue Church, mm-hmm. and um, they um, don't, uh, if you look at their materials on their website, they don't appear to have that much faith in the school. They sort of bemoan the fact that the um, school building has, uh, school has become the place where values are set, um, and they're determined to establish their uh, church in, you know, the Public schools, they state a goal of placing a church in every public school in their area within the next 10 years. So it's it's a a tricky one because on the one hand you can say, look, if they're paying fair rent, um, doesn't that give the school some money to help, you know, um, perpetuate their mission? Absolutely it is. Um, But at the same time, it is a kind of um, like a, like almost like a soft establishment you know, people start to associate the authority of the school with the authority of a particular religious viewpoint. Help me connect the dots here. So let's say they are meeting in the school, but it's on a weekend. It's not during the school day. How are they putting any sort of dent into the public school when they're meeting on weekends and stuff? Like, how does that, how can, even if they wanted to establish a church in these public schools, Help me understand how meeting on a Sunday or something is going to seep its way into the school day when kids are there. Well, you know, it it, it may not. On the other hand, in this particular church, um, the uh, pastor of the church acts as a quote-unquote life coach for the 
football team. So he does involve himself in, with the life of the school. I think he used to call himself the um, the chaplain of the football team. And then I believe the FFRF yeah. sent a letter saying, you're not allowed to do that. And he changed the title of what he said to life coach. I mean, it's so they're basically really integrating their way into the school community. And now we've seen a lot of like football teams that yeah. public schools have baptisms and team chaplains and prayers before or after a game. During. And they're not, and they're not student led, which it would be okay. But these are coach led mm-hmm. or chaplain led um, that I can totally get the legal problem with that. But what you're suggesting, I guess, is that these churches are pushing their way into the schools and then finding a way to blur the lines. Yeah. And work their way into I, the system. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to say that some do and some don't, you know, some some have a more aggressive mission than others. But I think it's um, interesting that this is also occurring in the context of the general defunding of public education. So in um, in that area in Florida, for instance, the election of you know Tea Party and other quote unquote small government officials means that the public schools in general have suffered enormous budget cuts. They're really struggling for money. Mm. So it creates a kind of vacuum. They're really desperate for any kind of money, any kind of help. And then what often happens is that faith-based organizations, which are largely, not exclusively, but you know, largely evangelical Christian, say, oh, well, we'd like to come in, we'd like to start offering this to the kids and that to the kids, and, you know, we want to... We can supply the them with Frankly, these things mm-hmm. that they need. I would prefer that my public school has enough money to paint their own facility and yeah. frankly give the work to somebody who you know could use it um, and get paid a fair wage for it yeah. than to um, uh, than, than to rely on the charity of religion that um, you know uh, wants to tell my kid that they're going to go to hell unless they convert to a particular to, to their religion, you know. Yeah, I can't imagine how infuriating that would be. Like, I don't have kids, but I feel like if I had a kid come home and be like. Mom, guess what I learned today? I'm going to hell. Like, that has to be infuriating. Well, the the thing is, when we moved from Santa Barbara to New York City, and we were living across the street from um, our public school, we could see the door to the public school from our apartment, and on Sundays, you know, people would stand outside. Oh, listen to this, okay. They'd stand outside. They'd hand out candy on the street, including my friend and her daughter, and they'd invite them to the church at their school. And... Um, so my daughter came home and she goes, oh, mommy, is the church part of our school? Yep. And I said, no, honey, I had to, you know, explain again right. that it was an elementary school. You know, high school is sort of a different story. You know, at that age, kids can make that distinction. Right. But a public elementary school, they absolutely cannot. So I said, no, the church is not part of our school. So I decided to go to services one day. And the pastor, we were sitting in um, a room surrounded by pictures of my daughter and her friends. You know, they had sort of put these um, around the school made posters of themselves mm. and the 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 um and they had their names up and the pastor said notice the names of the children on the piece of paper pray for them and pray that <laughs> the, the families of this school this uh, I can't remember exactly how he said it he told us to pray for the kids and pray oh he said pray that the families of these children will come to know that this is the house of god wow so there i am mandated by law to <laughs> right. send my child to this public elementary school where her image and her name is going to get involved in the religious um, rituals of a faith that I don't subscribe to, that to me feels like an inappropriate mixing of government with religion. Right. So 
I know we alluded to this earlier, but what is the best way to respond to this? Do we fight fire with fire and try to set up atheist versions of the same thing purely not to indoctrinate kids into atheism, but to just push back against this? Or is there another way we sh- parents can do something about this? Because I'm not sure there is a legal way to fight back based on what you're saying. Well, I'm not a lawyer. So, you know, there have been other people who have thought about different sort of legal ways to fight back, and I'm not in a position to, you know, endorse any of them. And, you know, um, you know, I, I really feel like the first step in, 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 in meeting any challenge is to kind of let people know that it exists. So I think it's really important if we're talking about good news clubs to kind of let people know about them, you know, let people Educate know. Educate them what about they what think. the curriculum is. Yeah. Let let people know what they believe and let people know what harm it does. Um, I think we really should be fighting to reaffirm some of our basic constitutional principles. Um, I think parents, of course, should be prepared to deal with the kind of faith-based bullying and bigotry that can arise um, when groups, uh, when these divisive religious groups come into the public elementary schools and start, um, you know, um, and, and when that leads to children sort of targeting their their their, their peers for faith-based bullying and bigotry, um, you know, again, I don't approve of any religious organization, you know, putting its clubs in the public schools and going after kindergartners and say telling atheist kindergartens to go after quote unquote churched kids and mm-hmm. you know that would be the equivalent because they they tell the good news club kids to go after quote unquote unchurched kids. But, um, yeah, I would never approve of anything like that. But, you know, different activist groups might have their own opinions on that. Um, I do think it's interesting um, when the forum, you know, this idea of a neutral forum gets tested and, and we can see that it really isn't as neutral as, um, as it claims to be. Can the students themselves do anything or is that, do they risk something in pushing back against this? Have any have any elementary school students done anything? I feel like asking like an eight year old to be yeah. like stand I mean, up against like an authority figure. To organize and, right. and, and go to the principal and right. say we don't like this. Even if they did, frankly, the principal's hands are generally tied yeah. because um uh because of that two thousand one Supreme Court decision, Good News Club versus Milford Central School, it's very challenging. And I really feel frankly sorry for um a lot of the school administrators, most of them are not equipped to deal with the kind of needless religious wars that erupt sure. when Good News Clubs force their way into the public schools. Let's remember, Good News Clubs force their ways in. They're, they're, they're not invited. They have all of these documents that they present and sort of showing that they have a right to be there and you know demanding that they pay the least amount of um, use fee possible and, hmm. and things like that. So, um, you know, when they show up, a lot of principals sort of have told me, gosh, you know, we're so busy dealing with, you know, budget cuts and issues about administration and education. I really don't want to be dealing with this. Well, and they can't. Like you're saying, this is not a legal uh, – it's not that they're doing anything illegal. It's that they're they're playing by the rules set up by the system, yeah. and the principals couldn't say no even if they wanted to. Uh, they kind of have to let them in, right? You know what? I'll tell you something. If there were 4,000, um, say, Wiccan uh, clubs in public elementary schools trying to, you know, convert children to the Wiccan faith, you can bet there would be such a public outcry that there would people would find a way to exclude them. I mean, we saw this when, um, when, for instance, the uh, Church of Scientology 
uh, came up with some program and placed them in public elementary schools in in uh, in California. And when enough parents became aware that the program was um, affiliated with the Scientology Church of Scientology, it was um, excluded. And the same thing happened um, when um, there was a Kabbalah Center program that was going into some public schools. Um, Do you know how they're excluded? I'm trying to figure out, like, on what basis could you say no to the Scientology program? I don't know that because Mm -hmm. I'm not really aware of the sort of minutiae of that uh, court fight. Um, Like, I can understand um, the public outcry against it, but I'm still trying to figure out... uh, The legal ramp. The legal Like, how could you say no? I don't know that you could. But if there was enough unpopularity behind it, and parents were just very clear, like, my kid's not joining that, and we're going to convince everybody that this is a bad idea, there just wouldn't be enough interest. But that's a lot harder Mm -hmm. to do when it's Christianity versus everything else, it seems. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, a lot of money buys a lot of law. <laughs> so, you know, the reason yeah. this has happened is because it, this wasn't sort of a, a kind of a one-off or an accident, that Good News Club decision. Um, you know, in the early 80s, the um, religious right decided to invest an enormous amount of money in their legal strategy. And then groups like um, the Alliance Defending Freedom, Liberty Council, American Center for Law and Justice, um, got together and brought the right cases to the right court right. over a number of years to create the groundwork for this um, Good News Club decision. Right. And the first thing that they really did was kind of call, it was basically uh, a, a way of, of calling, you know, of, of reframing religion, not as religion, but as speech from a certain point of view. Yeah. And you could now, say there's some you, silver linings because once they got Christian clubs allowed in high school mm-hmm. or something, I mean, that also led to gay-straight alliances and secular student alliances yeah. forming, but not nearly at the same rate and not at the same numbers mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Let me ask you one last question. Uh, where do you go from here? What do you research next? Do you still work on, like, if you're writing articles, are you focused still on religion in public schools? Or are you interested in tackling a completely different topic. Are you burned yeah. out on this one? <laughs> I read a re- an article recently about potatoes. It was so much fun. <laughs> like a food story. I was so excited to get to write about something other than religion. <laughs> but um, I really did. I wrote a food story. I wrote um, another really sort of fun story for Santa Barbara Magazine, um, which is the magazine I used to write for um, on a regular basis when I lived in Santa Barbara. But, um, you know, I'm still really interested in writing about um, uh, uh, religious fundamentalism. I'm really interested in the spread of all kinds of fundamentalisms, um, not just Christian fundamentalism, but um, other religious fundamentalisms in the U.S. and uh, in the world. And um, and it's so funny, I have a friend who also has written about um, fundamentalism and and she doesn't anymore, except once she said to me, you know, it's like a bad boyfriend. <laughs> you just keep going back, keep going back there. <laughs> but it's funny. Um, it, it is something yeah. that I'm just very deeply interested in and, um, uh, and, and continue to explore and write about. Um, um, so um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yes. It's interesting. I tell people I write a website about atheism. They're like, well, how much can you really talk about like oh what God, so much. Uh, God doesn't exist? Like how much material can you get out of that? It's like, I am never not busy writing about yeah. There's so many stories about religious fundamentalism and the impact religion has on society. There's more than enough material for everyone. Yeah. 
Um, it's it's really interesting. I I, I find um, uh, also that you know um, fundamentalist forms of religion really fascinating. Um, it's amazing to me how much attraction that they have for people. Absolutely. You know? It's frustrating, and and thank you for all the work you're doing, and, yeah. and kind of exposing this, and sure. and educating so many people about these issues, and and the Good News Club, and and all the other uh, church encroachment into public space that you write about. So thank you for your time and and for your work. Oh, thank you so much for having me on uh, the podcast. It's really a pleasure to speak with you guys. Thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois. The music was composed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at FriendlyAtheistPodcast at gmail.com. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.